Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Keller, and today we're joined by Steve Winterfield, who is the advisory CISO at Akamai Technologies, a cloud computing company. Steve helps Akamai CISOs solve their most pressing issues and provide insights on security capability roadmaps, in addition to providing thought leadership as the cybersecurity industry transitions to DevOps and combats online attacks. Akamai produced a report, the State of Cyber Segmentation 2023, Overcoming Deployment Obstacles, proves to be transformational. So the white paper examines how different companies of varying sizes approach segmentation as a part of their overall security strategy. So today we're going to discuss the key takeaways, which is really important for any industry, but particularly ours. So before we get started, Steve, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Awesome. And so segmentation is an architectural approach that divides a network into smaller segments for the purposes of enhancing performance and security. So you interviewed 1,200 IT and security decision makers in 10 countries to measure the progress organizations have made in securing their environments with a focus on the role of segmentation. So would you have the industries of those organizations spliced out? for the United States specifically? For example, how many of them might work in the defense space? So certainly, you know, as we look at this overall, we realize 97% of leaders out there say that, you know, they, they understand this is a necessity, whether it's segmentation at the network level or micro segmentation where you get down with like a software agent down inside the server and and segment working processes. And that number drops down to about 80 when you get into public sector, which would include, you know, defense contractors in defense, the DOD. And within those, you know, we also see, you know, at the segmentation level, about 15% of the public sector responded to not even being there yet, having no segmentation in their networks today. So basically it, it ends up being a large flat network which means the risk to one is a risk to all. I would highlight, you know, as we talk about segmentation, I'm a big fan of the NIST special pubs. If you go out to NIST special pub 800-207-0 trust architecture, it kind of lays out exactly what this is. And obviously Biden's executive order on ransomware talks about zero trust and segmentation as well. 99% of respondents have deployed a zero trust security framework, which requires all users whether in or outside the organization's network to be authenticated, authorized, and continuously validated for security configuration and posture before being granted or keeping access to applications or data. And even the U.S. government and federal agencies are adopting this approach of authenticate, monitor, and validate user identities and trustworthiness, managing devices on a network, controlling access to data, securing applications, automating security, monitoring, et cetera, et cetera. But U.S. companies still face the greatest number of ransomware threats, reporting an average of 115 ransomware attacks over the past year. So why do you believe this is? So I think there's a couple factors here. The first is regulatory. You know, we have some U.S. states that have passed laws that public sector cannot pay a ransomware. Then you have internationally 
take, for instance, EU, where there are restrictions on both requirements to report and restrictions on paying ransomware. And so ultimately, we have to remember from the, the criminal or the adversary's point of view, typically ransomware is used to get a return on investment. And we have two aspects to ransomware, as we talk about in our, our state of the internet report. The first is going in and encrypting the data. That immediately stops operations. The second is exfilling sensitive data and then offering to let you pay a basically a hostage fee, and that would prevent them from releasing that data. Uh, we see the ransomware advocates or the threat actors reaching out to clients of the victim and saying, hey, we stole your data from this vendor. You need to call the vendor that supports you and tell them to pay us. We even saw where they filed an SEC complaint against somebody who didn't report on their ransomware within the required amount of time. So a lot of this is just about that return on investment. They think they are able to get more in the U.S. to pay and pay at a higher amount. Let's kind of deep dive and talk about some more key insights from the report. IT leadership that were surveyed were asked questions related to their security approaches, segmentation strategies, and the threats their organization faced during 2023. Tell me about some of those top takeaways from the report. You know, the first is... People want to do it, but as we think about segmentation and zero trust, it first came out over 10 years ago, this need to minimize the blast zone, to minimize the impact or risk. If one system is compromised, how do you prevent that from spreading like a cancer and losing your entire network? And so they like the thought process of, of segmentation, but it's slow, it's cumbersome, and sometimes they lack that expertise. And so as we look at this, why do they want to do it? Obviously, the downtime, the data loss, the brand damage. So they think it's critical. And, and when we say it's critical, more and more of my peers are switching from prevention to rapid detection. So if we know we can't stop everything from getting in, how can we minimize the dwell time? And once you discover you have somebody in your network, how quickly can you stop that from taking action? Can you do it before they hit the command and control button and encrypt your network? Can you do it before they exfil a lot of data? And so one of the things we've found is groups have implemented this can go about 11 hours faster in that remediation, from 15 hours to four hours to stop it, and from 14 hours to three hours to to stop lateral movement or or that spread. And I want to go a little deeper here. You know, as we look at the, as you said, that 99% want to do it, only two in five or around 40% say they've fully implemented their zero trust. And so if you want to do this, you need to kind of segment at the network level into critical business assets, critical apps, public facing apps, some of your infrastructure like domain controllers or servers or endpoints. Because once you have those segments, then your ability to stop the lateral movement, to stop the exfil is greatly increased. Does that all make sense? Yeah, definitely. I'd love to kind of pull on the thread about more of what the big impacts are in having a low ranking and deployment of segmentation. So the benefits of segmentation are improving operational performance, reducing network congestion. We've talked about, you know, the cyber attack damage. It improves cybersecurity by limiting how far an attack can spread is what I'm hearing in terms of limiting that cancer. It protects vulnerable devices. Tell me about some more of those big impacts if you have a low ranking and deployment of segmentation. So essentially what we're saying here is 
if you haven't started segmenting, you have a much higher risk profile. One break in your security is going to take everything down. And so one of the things we look at is kind of the cyber kill chain. If you ever go out and look at the MITRE attack framework, across that you have a number of steps. You know, you need to do reconnaissance, need to launch your exploit. You need to spread across the exploit and be able to basically, you know, infect the entire network. So if you're doing an encryption, you're encrypting the backups, you're encrypting all the data across everywhere, both production and operational. As we think about this, that risk is, we'll take a payment card industry as an example. So PCI says, you know, they should be, anything that's processing your credit card should be segmented. And so if, if you just segment the, the credit cards, then if somebody goes after your credit card data, they get in there, they're not in the rest of your network. But that is a minimal, that's just two. And, and what we find is most of the organizations say they've got two networks. So if it's credit card and the rest of their network, if it's their production network and their administrative network, a DOD would you know, kind of segment it along the lines of the warfighters and the admin. You, know, you may do something along the clearance levels, but even within the clearance levels, you may want to segment off special programs. If somebody's going after the specs on your new weapon system, those should be segmented. So if somebody gets into the broader network, they aren't able to get the specs on the latest weapon system. And so how do you do that segmentation? If you're doing it with you know, internal firewalls, it's a little cumbersome. Most of us have some form of, of almost network PTSD trying to do that because you have operational impact. So how can you do this in a way that is flexible and will allow you to do it with the current talent you have? Because talent is a big problem here. You know, Do you have the right people to segment internally? Do you understand where your workflows are? And so where's your visibility? Uh, if you don't have visibility on your workflows, you can't really segment them. And so we want to go with some kind of a project that is going to help you either bring on talent to help you do this implementation or train your current staff to do the segmentation or finally do it in a way that is managed by somebody externally. Not sure that that's always the right answer. But as we struggle for talent, we want to be able to do this in a quick and flexible way. And so the low segmentation score is typically not coming because we don't think we need to do it. It's because we don't have the resources, the skills, or in some cases, the understanding how to do it without breaking our current systems. And so first of all, you need to map out and have that visibility. You know, we're growing, we're constantly in transformation. We're moving architectures. We're, you know, a lot of our different groups are moving to things like APIs. Do you have visibility on your APIs? Do you have visibility on your cloud network? Do you have visibility on your legacy network? And I feel like I've been going on a little bit. I want to pause here, but really this is about understanding your current architecture in a way that you can logically segment it which is why we came up with a recommendation on use these six categories as a starting point, which will give you a huge return on investment, both discovering lateral movement, stopping it, and quickly mitigating either one of those data exfil or encrypting malware. 
those are some of the impacts in having low ranking and deployment of segmentation, kind of making sure that you have visibility on everything that's happening, taking maybe some scenarios or situations that have happened in the past, using that to create a roadmap for how you are going to mitigate or detect threats in the future. And, you know, you mentioned talent. One of the big things that we chat about at Clearance Jobs is the the fact that we don't have enough people that have security clearances for the amount of job openings that require a security clearance. And so same in cyber. I mean, it's a story that we've heard over the last few years, the number of cybersecurity openings, we just don't have the people to fill them. And so you mentioned a little bit about upskilling, which I think is important for companies to do with their current workforce. Maybe that have outdated skills and put them through boot camps, help them get cyber certifications so they can fill some of these roles. That is essentially what I read in the report, a lack of skills and expertise is the number one cause of delay in segmentation projects. So you mentioned upskilling. Any other ways that we can help solve the talent shortage that is present across cybersecurity? Any other ideas that you could share with our audience today? So as I look, you know, I think about two things. What are the skills I need in the future? What are the levers I can pull to basically meet my current needs? And so I think, you know, the first thing you said is look for people that have an interest. I have a number of people that don't necessarily come from an IT background. You know, some come from a more of a audit background. Some come out of the help desk. And quite honestly, some come out with, they just realize they need a skill and they're interested in cyber. And so I think the first thing is, you know, understanding where their general skills would fit within cyber. I've got some that are great on the compliance side. They're going to help me, you know, write policies and be compliant. I have others that love to build. They may write code for my DevSecOps They may build uh, servers that are going to host my antivirus, or they may deploy systems like, you know, Akamai. We have a web application firewall that is protecting web pages. We have apps and API security. We have internal segmentation. And as, as you think about these different skill sets, some of these are builders And then the others, you know, they're going to go out and build that capability. They're going to monitor it. They're going to configure it. They're going to update it. The other person is the analyst. They're going to look at the results of those, the segmentation alerts or the WAF messages for trends. And so I need some that are analysts that like to solve puzzles. And so once we talk to these people, we understand, you know, where is your interest? Where are you going to be engaged at work? I think that's when we can start pulling them in and training them quickly. And then I think I, as a leader, need to make sure I'm working with vendors out there that have education programs. So again, Akamai working with our customers, some of our customers want to manage their stuff. They want to purchase it and they'll manage it. We have others that want to purchase something and then buy a number of engineering hours or analyst hours. And so they're going to purchase it and then they want to help us build it and configure it. And they'll do the ongoing support and maybe pull us in for some projects. And then the final is they want us to manage it for them. They don't want to necessarily, let's say, uh, denial service attacks. It doesn't happen every day, so they don't want to maintain expertise in that. They may outsource that particular mission. 
But even then, they have a governance rule. And I talked about that. We need some people to go out and understand what's going on to govern those external factors. And so as we look at all of this, I think I need skills in vendor management. I need skills in writing good contracts to make sure that I get the support I need. And I also need skills and and how to develop those internally. It's by talking to people and saying, I don't need you to be an IT expert. If we can all learn, and if you're gonna be in this industry, it's a lifelong learning process. So I can I can help you learn whichever one of these missions you're interested in. The last drum I'll beat on this is certifications. There are a ton of certifications. There's very technical certifications. I'll just name SANS as one example. And there are a dozen examples out there. And then there are high level management. There's recently even certifications on being a CISO. So I think the key here is auditors love certification, HR reps love certifications. It is worth going out there and doing those. They're great for foundation. No, definitely. And, you know, I feel like I see this issue a ton from transitioning service members that I coach that maybe went in like 10 to 20 years ago, they retire and their skills just don't translate from their MOS or they're just completely outdated. And so pivoting and upskilling careers and particularly to cybersecurity is something that I, I just hear about so much. And so particularly for our candidate audience that might be looking to pivot I'd love to hear a little bit about job search strategies or, you know, again, those certifications that they should keep in mind, especially knowing that you come from the cleared space previously. You are a commissioned army officer across multiple active duty and reserve assignments until you retired as lieutenant colonel and then supported a few industry partners before pivoting to the commercial sector. So pivoting is in your background. So could you share with our audience your story on the military transition, how you moved along in your career over the years, and what important questions you were asking yourself? I'm very lucky, and the military gave me great opportunities for leadership, gave me a lot of responsibility, and put me in in leadership positions to have the kind of skills to go out and be a great leader. But When you leave DOD and go into defense contracting, all of a sudden, you know, my mission was not national safety. My mission was ensuring that the people that invested in our stock got a return on their investment. So I want to do the right thing for national security as a defense contractor, but ultimately my mission is to our stockholders. And that's kind of a change in mindset. You know, as a leader, I need to I need to have talent that wants to stay with me for the next three years. And this is very hard because there's a perception that, you know, you get this cybersecurity certification and you can move on. So again, I need to make sure that my leadership skills are a toolkit and I use the right style in the right circumstance to make both those under me and above me successful. And so these are adapts and everybody in the military adapts every job they get. They're amazing at figuring out how to be successful in this new job. And I think that's what you need to do is understand that this is a pivot in both mindset and mission parameters because people can leave if they don't like working for you or this company or aren't motivated. And so those two would be the first uh, two, I would say. Some of its language. You need to leave some of that military jargon behind. If you can go six months and people are surprised you're in the military, 
you kind of made that transition to attitude and language. You know, for people out there looking for a new job, I've written some articles. One is about finding a job. It's based on me helping some people that were laid off in the industry. 80% of what I want to tell you is in that article about looking for your next job in the commercial market. The other is on managing your career. And that kind of goes to what kind of jobs do you have? What kind of skills do you need? How do you think about managing a career in the civilian world where there isn't sergeant is your next rank or this is your next MOS and it's not necessarily structured? So and in this case, I think, you know, you kind of need that North Star of deciding where you want to be. And then you have to build your own roadmap, your own career trajectory to get there. I had a great time as a defense contractor. It really was an important mission. I enjoyed that. You know, for various reasons, I had an opportunity to go over and work in the commercial sector and finance, took that. I haven't looked back. The commercial sector has been exciting and interesting and challenging. There are days I miss being part of the mission, though. Uh, it's, it's hard to leave. And like I said, I, I think there are days that I kind of wish I could go back, but uh loving it where I am. That's so great to hear. And I, I really appreciate some of those tips that you shared, particularly, you know, kind of leaving the jargon. I love if people have to ask if you were even in the military after six months. I mean, you kind of have transitioned yourself into the next turning a new leaf and, and place that you're going to be. So Steve, I really appreciate you joining for this episode of Cleared Cast. Today, we chatted about Akamai, how they interviewed 1,200 IT and security decision makers in 10 countries to measure the progress organizations have made in securing their environments with a focus on segmentation and micro-segmentation that we heard about today. So the findings from that report give insights on how security strategies have changed since 2021 and where progress still needs to be made. So you can download the white paper at akamai.com slash resources. And for more on cybersecurity career advice and breaking news, you can always visit news.clearancejobs.com. This podcast is brought to you by the civil services team at Booz Allen. Right now, the nation is encountering some of the most complex challenges humanity has ever faced. From preventing terrorism and criminal threats to combating human trafficking to mitigating the climate crisis, Booz Allen solves today's most critical missions and pioneers resolutions for tomorrow's opportunities. Advance the future and lead with us. Explore careers at boozallen.com slash civil careers.